The ETF Edge podcast is sponsored by Invesco QQQ, supporting the innovators changing the world. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Welcome to ETF Edge, the podcast. If you're looking to learn the latest insights on all things exchange-traded funds, you are in the right place. Every week, we're bringing you interviews and market analysis, and we're going to break down what it all means for investors. I'm your host, Bob Pisani. Today, we're diving right into the hottest trends of the year. That's ESG, environmental, social, and governance, and the boom behind BlackRock's two recent launches and what's driving that red-hot inflows into that particular space. Plus, what's hot in 2020? Not looking so hot in 2021? <laughs> there are some of them out there, believe it or not. Why bets on thematic trends like cloud computing, cybersecurity, 3D printing appear to have fallen out of favor so far this year. Here's my conversation with Sal Bruno, CIO of Index IQ, Armando Senra, the head of iShares Americas, and Todd Rosenbluth, Senior Director of ETF and Mutual Fund Research at CFRA. Armando, um, I've got used to saying amazing inflows into ETFs, but amazing inflows into ESG again this year. I'm looking at ESG inflows in the first quarter of the year, $21 billion in inflows into ESG funds. There was $21 billion in all of 2019. So we've already done the first quarter of this year has already had the same flows of, as 2019. I know we keep saying, well, there's a new generation of investors and they're interested in climate change. Is that really it? Does that explain this avalanche of money coming into ESG or is there something we're, we're, we're sort of missing? Look at these numbers here going up every single year, every single quarter. Yes, Bob, and great to be here. Uh, let me just say that um, I don't think it's that. I think that uh, it's the realization that investment risk uh, and investment performance, that's what ESG is about. Uh, it's not about compromising performance and it's not just about values. So it's that um, convergence of values with the realization of investment risk and investment performance. So what you see is more investors incorporating sustainability into their portfolios, thinking about how ESG-related risks may have an impact on their portfolio and therefore on price on, on asset pricing. I think that that's why you see this uh, this massive increase in flows. And by the way, we think that we're just at the very beginning. Uh, yes, in iShares we just crossed 100 billion in sustainable ETFs globally. Half of that are coming from the U.S. So this is no longer a European story. This is a global story. We see the same thing all around the world. Uh, but the reality is we believe the category will be a trillion dollars by 2030. Uh, so we're just at the beginning. How does that happen? You see here in the U.S., you see a lot of model portfolios in the wealth segment incorporating ESG into the model portfolios, not only in sustainable models, but also in traditional models. So beginning to incorporate sustainability in their traditional models. And you also see it, as we talked before, uh, with uh, large asset owners in the, in, around the world incorporating sustainable in their portfolios, like in the case of uh, LCTU, we talk about casters. So that's what's driving the growth, yeah. and we're just at the beginning. Yeah. Sal, you also run an uh, ESG ETF, the IQ ESG ETF. The symbol is IQSU. You've been outperforming this year, also big inflows. And maybe pick up uh, on, on what Armando was talking about there, uh, the not just climate change, but this gender equality issues. There's the whole stakeholder versus shareholder issue. This is sort of that perfect confluence, as well as, of course, a younger generation of people that are interested in this. But, but pick up on what Armando was talking about there and, and, and why we keep talking about ESG as the, 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 the moment that it's having right now. For us, you know, we think that 
this is really is the acceleration um, and continuation of the trend that we had seen basically going on for several years. But if you even go all the way back, you know, to 15, 20 years ago, if you think about what ESG investing was back then, it was really only about excluding certain types of companies. And that has evolved so much more so that it's really more of a comprehensive or a holistic view of your right, the stakeholder versus shareholder issue. Um, and that's why we've partnered with Candrium, who's one of our sister boutiques under the New York Life Umbrella. They have a long history of doing the ESG investing over in Europe to try to find best-in-class type of, 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 of companies that cut across E, S, and G. And to us, you know, I think an important part of this evolution is the fact that ESG investing went from being a satellite or a fringe type of an investment strategy to much more of a core type strategy. And we're seeing a lot more investors using it in their core piece of their portfolio. So they're looking for things like very competitive fees, uh, very, you know, lower tracking error, competitive performance. It's really uh, those days of the question of should I do I have to sacrifice performance to invest according to my values? Those days are kind of gone. We're seeing these types of strategies with lower tracking, competitive, very low fees, actually putting up competitive performance. That's what we've seen in IQSU, the ETF that we have launched. Yeah, Todd, uh, you see what the what's in this uh, ETF, the main holdings, and this is something you and I have talked about many times. You probably open the door of most of these big ESGs, and they their top holdings tend to be big cap tech, mega cap tech, or at least high quality big cap tech names like Johnson and Johnson shows up uh, all the time. Can, can you help explain that to me? And, and, and maybe Armando could step in too. I've asked him about it, but it does bother me a little bit. And people keep messaging me saying, Bob, is this all anybody can think of to put in their ESG funds is, is big cap tech? Why do they keep going in, get, passing the, the test and going in? And is there anything else that anybody can include there? So these are broadly diversified ETFs for the most part. And as, as Sal just touched on, their goal is to have relatively low tracking error, meaning they're going to perform relatively in line with the broader market. In this case, we've actually seen these two ETFs that we're talking about outperforming within the past year. You tend to have less exposure to energy or slightly less exposure to energy. You tend to have slightly more exposure to some of the more growth-oriented sectors like technology and like consumer discretionary, but it's more what you find not in these portfolios as opposed to what is in there. These are still market cap weighted in nature, so you're going to be heavily weighted towards the Apples, the Microsofts, the Alphabets, but you often don't find Facebook within some of these portfolios in, in, in South product, uh, in IQSU. You don't find uh, JP Morgan or Facebook within the portfolio. So there are certainly companies that you won't find that would be in your broader core portfolio. Yeah. So, Armando, why don't you explain what's in your newest uh, ESG uh, fund, uh, the, uh, the the Carbon Transition Readiness Fund? You just launched it two weeks ago. You've got $1.3 billion in this. How do you decide what, what goes in this? What's what's the criteria? I mean, it's, it's $1.3 billion for two weeks is a pretty impressive inflow. So somebody wants in on this thing. How do you decide what's That's in it? Right. Yeah, and I'll, I would just emphasize uh, first what uh, uh, both Todd and Saad indicated, which is that when I mentioned the growth is coming from large asset donors and model portfolios incorporating sustainable, this is not just a niche allocation in the portfolio. These are broad exposures uh, that provide a core allocation in the portfolio. So you have to look at your whole portfolio. Are you overweight large caps? That's a consideration, but you should not look for sustainable as if it's a different part of the portfolio that will play in a different space. So in the case of LCTU, which is the, the low carbon transition portfolio that you were referring to, 
that was the largest active ETF. That's actually an active ETF um, uh, offering, but with a low tracking error, given investors exposure to the Russell 1000. So you have exposure to the Russell 1000, but with 50% lower carbon intensity. So that's, that's the key. So you will still have a lot of those names. Uh, what do we do in the portfolio? We have about 350 holdings. We we'll look at the holdings in the Russell 1000. We put them through a framework to analyze how those companies are doing in the transition to a low carbon economy. We have a, a proprietary framework that we use. We give different scores and we overweight and underweight based on that. But you still get exposure to the Russell 1000. So again, is that broad exposure that you're looking for, Russell 1000 with 50% lower carbon intensity? So that's the simple answer. When people keep asking me, why are, why are tech names showing up in these ESG so, funds so much, and particularly something like a low carbon, the answer is, well, they tend to be companies that have the lowest carbon footprint. I mean, they're not actually uh, producing anything. Well, they're producing chips. So it, it, the next question I usually get asked, Armando, or anybody on this, Sal uh, or Todd, is do you account for the fact that, for example, Apple produces chips uh, that are, of course, have carbon impact as well. Is, is, is there something down the food chain that is also considered when including these, these companies? I get asked this question all the time. Yeah, we yeah, look like across it. the value chain. We look at the, at the company, uh, at all these companies, across all their activities, across the materials that they use, the use of natural resources, and that's how we come across with different metrics. Yeah, we, we look at you know the, the whole value chain and, and how companies and we, there are companies actually large cap companies like companies like Netflix actually one of the big reasons they're actually not in our strategy um, is that they have a significant negative impact on the environment through the high electricity consumption of their data service. So just you know a concrete example of something that actually has gotten filtered out um, for the uh, its environmental impact. You know Todd mentioned names like Facebook on governance issues. Um, you know uh, Amazon actually is one that we don't own. That's a very large holding, and many of the others. Um, and for there, it's been more for society, um, the S in the, in the ESG, in, in terms of kind of the work issues that they have. And we also what happened with the unionization vote down in Alabama. So, you know, we do try to look across all ESNG to try to identify companies that need to be screened out so we can really get companies that are best in class um, across all three of those metrics. Yeah, you know, one thing that's very interesting, just to move on on this, is it seems ESG is growing so fast uh, that sometimes just managing the flows are, are an issue. So, uh, Armando, I was looking at iShares uh, Global Clean Energy that, that, that you guys run. This is a huge fund uh, that's a real darling of the ESG crowd. Um, and the benchmark, I believe S&P ran this, the, the, did the benchmark for this. They had to increase it from 30 stocks. It was a very concentrated fund, which I think is terrific, to 100 just because there was so much money flowing in. Uh, they had to be careful about you know, reducing uh, clustering, essentially. So you're sort of a victim of your own success here, aren't you? I mean, here's a very concrete example where ICLN had to expand the number of companies that are actually in there to accommodate all the people who wanted in on it. Uh, what I would say is that iClean is a very specific uh, thematic uh, type of ETF. It's very different from the exposures that we talked about before. When you look at the LCTU, Russell 1000, when you look at the SGU, large cap, mid cap, uh, those are broad exposures where there's no issues uh, in terms of the flows. In the case of iClean, also index providers are just, we're still in the early days. They're working in their methodology. 
uh, and that's improving. That's uh, been updated uh, constantly to accommodate for the growing asset class that we have. But again, you know, when you look at the category, we think that this is going to be a $1 trillion category by 2030. So we are still in the very early days. Yeah, I think yeah. what we're starting Todd, to see, too, um, is the, the broadening out. I mean, we were talking a lot about kind of core holdings and lower tracking our products, and now we're talking a little bit more of satellite-type products where you're looking at some more thematic-type investments that maybe involve some ESG investing. So, for example, you know, we brought out a, a strategy in February as the IQ Healthy Heart uh, ETF, the ticker is HART, and it really it overlays the ESG screen, so we're only looking for companies that meet the ESG criteria, but it's very much oriented towards a specific theme. In this case, it's promoting um, healthy lifestyles through trying to address some of the, the issues with heart disease. So, you know, we're looking at companies in the in the healthcare sector. We're looking at companies in the food sector that are actually uh, providing better lineups of more healthy alternatives in their food, as well as companies that are involved in fitness tracking and promoting better lifestyles. So, I think what we're talking about here is actually transitioning and, and broadening out the product suite, uh, the product set to to think about some of these uh, more satellite type of positions that are blending thematics as well as ESG together. Yeah, thank you, Sal. And uh, Todd, let me just turn to you. I want to move on to another subject. So the two topics I get hit all the time by investors at CNBC on this is, one, why is there so many tech stocks in it? We talked about that. The other is the lack of standards that are developed for ESG that bothers a lot of people that they don't quite – they have to be very careful at looking at what these, e, these ETF funds actually are investing in in terms of what they define as ESG. Todd, has, has there been any um, any – advancement in defining what ESG actually is and what it actually is doing. I know there's some groups out there like the Global Sustainability Standards Board uh, that are out there, but are we any closer to an agreement on what ESG actually is, or should we not have an agreement? Should everyone have their own definition? So I don't think we're that much closer. You're right. There are groups that are trying to have standardization, but I'm not sure this is any different than we have index providers that are behind this that classify companies as either growth or value. And often they'll agree with one another, but often they will not. And so a stock will be in the Russell 1000 growth and will be in the S&P 500 value because there's uh, there's the data looks different, uh, even though it's, they've got different criteria behind it. This just comes back to you need to understand what's inside the portfolio. If what you want is a core product, that's closely aligned to the broader market and you're comfortable that the five largest stocks are the same five largest stocks in the S&P 500, but there's a lot of stocks that are not uh, further down, then there's some great products. If you want more of an exclusionary product where it's much more narrowly focused, you know, for example, iShares has an advanced series of, of products. What's inside those ETFs and what's inside the aware ones like the SGU are quite different. Yeah. Uh, Another thing I've noticed, um, and and I'll throw this out to anybody, uh, Armando, maybe you can handle it first, is uh, what's sort of not hot this year? ESG remains hot. Last year, everyone was falling all over themselves for thematic tech uh, ETFs, Uh, not not just clean energy, uh, but 3D printing, um, cybersecurity, solar, um, um, cloud computing, for example. This year, not so much. Um, maybe it's because the prices went up rather dramatically and rates went up in February. But I noticed that other hot area besides ESG, thematic tech in general, uh, is not so hot. Um, is there any reason for that, or it, will that change? It, it, they're off of their lows, but will that change this year at all? Because that was a investors really – I got a lot of emails about that last year. They love investing thematically. 
Yeah, we, we are uh, very bullish on thematic investing and the growth of our platform that we call megatrends in within thematic investing, both index and active. Um, and there's great offerings. I mean, you had tremendous performance from some of our exposures last year. Um, iDrive was uh, close to 100%. Uh, for instance, iClean that you mentioned earlier, uh, 150%. I think that, yes, you may have a little bit of a pullback in performance, but we continue to see the flows. And about 80% of the flows that we are seeing this year are not necessarily um, in, uh, in technology type of exposure. So the IFRA, our infrastructure uh, offering, uh, very timely given, given um, all the talk around an infrastructure plan in the US, uh, big, uh, big flows, strong performance. iDrive, uh, that's another area of the market where we are continuing to see strong flows. Uh, so again, I think that in thematics, we believe thematics is a long-term growth uh, story for us and for the industry. Um, and a lot of the things that we create, we, we like them to be long-term things in anyone's portfolio. We're not uh, just chasing uh, one-year themes. We're looking for 10-year themes. Megatrends is supposed to be about the big trends that are changing society and the economy uh, for the next 10 years. Yeah, so. we agree that, you know, we're looking, we think that the thematics are a really great growth opportunity and a great opportunity for investors. Um, I think, Bobby touched on some of the key points. I think some of the, the thematics that did really well last year but not quite so well this year, I think if you look at those, those tend to be very high growth type of strategies. And we've definitely seen a rotation out of growth. We've seen the flows and we've seen the performance of value um, tick up relative to growth. And, you know, a lot of that, I think, has to do with the reopening trade and, and interest rates going up, as Armando mentioned. So, you know, I think some of that is kind of cyclical and you, you can't divorce these thematic strategies from what's going on in the, in the capital markets. But we do think that the uh, the opportunity set in thematics is, is big. You know, we talked about the healthy hearts, the IQ healthy hearts. We think there are a number of other, we think that concept of, of promoting both ESG and thematic, as well as, quite honestly, a dual impact. So for heart, we actually make a donation to the American Heart Association Social Impact Fund um, because we want investors to know that their dollars are doing well for their portfolios, but also doing good for society as a whole. And we think that concept applies to a number of other areas, especially in the social realm, where there are these opportunities to create these types of unique strategies. You know, Todd, the, um, the other big area, of course, was factor investing, what we call broadly uh, investing by value or, uh, or quality or uh, momentum or size. A lot of these are iShares ETFs that are out there, uh, the bigger ones. Um, we pay attention to these that are rebalancing, uh, that are big out there. Momentum, MTUM, uh, which Armando runs, uh, is going to be, rebalances twice a year. And, of course, last year it was big tech names. Now it may be a little bit different. Uh, you were talking, and I were talking about this uh, last week. What kind of changes might we see in something like uh, some of these momentum ETFs, particularly MTUM? Right. So momentum, uh, the momentum ETF from iShares MTUM is the one of those five uh, factor products that are U.S. focused that does not have any sector bands or any sector constraints. So it can go where the, the factor is strongest. Currently, the factor is strongest the way the portfolio is positioned with technology and consumer discretionary and healthcare being heavily weighted. The last six months have been really strong for financials, which is little to no exposure uh, within MTUM and energy where there is no exposure. So the research that we at CFRA did, we, we, we believe that we're going to see an increased exposure in financials and we're going to see a reinitiation of energy companies 
And some of the growth stocks, Amazon, for example, is potentially going to be falling out of this index. And then we're also just watching what's happening within the value ETF, uh, VLUE, which has sector neutrality. So it's looking for the value-oriented stocks within each sector. And, and we saw, for example, in technology, some of the more deeper value stocks have risen, and we've seen a rotation. Some of the higher growth stocks have fallen. So we could actually see VLUE owning more of the traditional growth stocks within the technology sector, uh, among other sectors. Yeah, and, and, and um, uh, MTUM rebalances twice a year, Todd, right? So uh, when, when's the rebalancing supposed to occur now, in, in the May? So the, re the rebalance for all five of the factor ETFs for iShares takes place at the end of May. The reason we're talking about this one, we wrote about it at CFRA, is that the Momentum ETF, it focuses on the six-month period ended April. Uh, it, it throws out that last month. Um, in the momentum part of it. So we, the data is now, in theory, available to try to figure out where the relative strength was. But, of course, there's, a, there's an algorithm that, that constructs this. All right. And Ar Armando, of course, uh, just last question very quickly because we've got to go. But it, you ever give thought, instead of doing this every six months, every three months, rebalancing this, given that momentum moves very quickly now? No, I mean, uh, momentum, by the way, I mean, Todd knows that. I mean, there's high turnover in that portfolio, so investors are aware of that. I think that what is what is really interesting, Bob, is in factors which lately they don't get a, a lot of attention. We're seeing some of the strongest flows uh, on the back of the reopening trade into our value portfolio uh, and other single factor um, offerings that we have. So, I mean, factors is something that uh, investors are really utilizing in 2021. We didn't see a lot of flow in 2020. That is also changing in 2021. Yeah. Okay, guys, I appreciate the help. That's it for this week's ETF Edge. And my thanks to Armando, of course, and Sal, and of course, Todd. Now it's time to round out the conversation with some analysis and perspective to help you better understand ETFs. This is the Marcus 102 portion of the podcast. Today, I'm going to continue the conversation about all things ESG with Armando Senra from iShares. Armando, we were talking about that new carbon readiness ETF you launched, LCTU, $1.3 billion in inflows in just about two weeks. That's a very impressive move to the inside here. And, and we were talking about the reason for it um, and this whole interest in ESG, besides the new class of investors and concerns about climate change and gender equality uh, and stakeholders versus shareholders, which I think is a wonderful discussion to have. I can't help but think that there's another sort of point here that I like, which is that ESG, by its very nature, kind of shifts the focus from a shorter-term emphasis on just what the earnings are to a longer-term focus on sustainability, shareholder, uh, and versus stakeholder. It, it, is that a good thing to have? Is it about time we shifted the emphasis a little bit away from just giving guidance and how much can you beat earnings you know, on that quarter? Yes, Bob, uh, great to be here. I, I think it's a combination, right? I think it begins with um, the idea that investing uh, in ESG is about investment risk and investment performance. And therefore, you know, when you're building a portfolio, you have to think of uh, ESG-related risks and the impact that they're going to have to asset pricing and also capital allocation. So I think it begins with that. So it moves away from values um, and it's about performance and risk. 
Uh, and then I think a lot of that, as you analyze companies and you try to understand what impact uh, ESG factors will have on a specific company, of course, you have to look at the long term. I mean, uh, we all the time talk about a BlackRock how um, we are long term investors. We like long term investors. So I think that uh, there's a, there's an element of long termism uh, that is hugely important uh, in good performance in a portfolio. Uh, but I think that the, the reason you see the flows going into ESG is because of the realization that this is about investment risk and investment performance. And just like with any other risk, you have to consider that in your portfolio so that you're building a, 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 a portfolio. Yeah. We also talked on the show a little bit about the, 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 biggest complaint, the second biggest complaint, the biggest complaint is there's too many tech stocks in these. And you've, I think, explained why that happens. But the other issue is just developing standards and whether we need to develop more standards. Um, the SEC actually went as so far to issue a risk alert in April that I covered, a warning about what they call a lack of policies and procedures related to ESG investing. I'm wondering what your thoughts are on that. Uh, is BlackRock doing anything itself to assist in the standardization of ESG, uh, or is that even desirable at this point? Absolutely. I would say that uh, we are a big proponent for regulation uh, that helps uh, create more consistent standards and increases the transparency uh, of what sustainable portfolios are about. So number one, uh, big proponents of regulation uh, and, and standards across the industry. But number two, um, you know, while that is happening, our job is to double down on education uh, to help advisors and investors, uh, large uh, institutional investors, how do they incorporate sustainable in their portfolios? And for that, we do a lot of work in our analytics uh, and technology uh, and education uh, to be able to talk to investors and help them in, in that journey. Yeah. I, you know, are, I know you're in this business and I am too, but aren't you a little bit amazed at the money that's going in here in ESG? I, I used to say in 2018 and 2019, it was hot topic, but I used to say, where's the money? Uh, everybody, who's against, you know, a cleaner environment? I, I'm not. I'm in favor of a cleaner environment. And yet, where's the money? There wasn't any money at all in this in the ESG business in 2018 and 2019. 2019, 2018, $5 billion inflows. 2019, $21 billion. 2020, all of a sudden now there's $50 billion. And then in 2021, just the first quarter, there's $21 billion. We have as much money coming in in the first quarter of 2021 as came in in the whole 2019 at this point. So the world has sort of woken up. Now, I don't know if it's COVID helped. I don't know if all of a sudden a new string of younger investors came in. I don't know. Maybe the, it just hit uh, a, a point. It's always been big and bigger in Europe than here uh, that it came in. But it's, it's really remarkable to see what a piece of the pie, and not only a piece of the investing pie, a piece of the, ESG, of the ETF pie is. It's, they're, they're a significant part of the whole ETF flows themselves at this point. Yeah, ESG growth uh, in our iShares platform has crossed 100 billion globally. About half of that is coming in from the U.S., as I mentioned earlier. Uh, so this is no longer a European story. But also, I think that the most important point is what we discussed uh, earlier on, which is that this is not about a small niche uh, allocation in a portfolio. What you are seeing is big substitutions of broad exposures uh, for sustainable equivalents. Uh, so when you mention ESGU in iShares, that's a that's a broad exposure. Uh, so you are not uh, with a low tracking error 
So that's replacing a different core holding. So again, this what we are discussing here, uh, we are just in the early days. When we say we are in the early days, 100 billion sounds like a lot, but we do believe the category will reach 1 trillion by 2030. Again, 1 trillion by 2030. So we are at the very beginning. And it's because of that, uh, incorporating sustainable into all portfolios. Um, and that's going to be the core of the portfolio. Of course, there's going to be uh, some thematics around the edge that also play uh, in sustainable. We mentioned iClean earlier on. That's not going to be a core holding. That's going to be a satellite in the portfolio. Uh, but exposures like ESGU or even LCTU that you mentioned, uh, which is a Russell 1000 exposure active ETF, that's going to be a core portfolio. Yeah, I wonder if you could just comment in general on the ETF flows. Uh, so we're going to hit $7 trillion in overall ETFs asset under management in the U.S. It was $5 trillion, you know, a year ago. Um, uh, I guess of that $7 trillion, maybe $5 trillion is uh, equities. Um, total equity market today is probably $40 trillion in the U.S. So $5 trillion or $40 trillion is still pretty small. It's 12% of the whole U.S. equities market. But it's growing really fast. Uh, can, can you comment on how ETF investing and the money flowing in has sort of changed investing in general? We know, of course, about the lower cost, uh, the better uh, tax treatment that you get under it. But is it is it truly changing investor behavior now? The fact that there's so much money continuing year after year to go back to go into ETFs. So the short answer is yes. <laughs> Um, it's just, and first of all, let me just—it's just incredible the, uh, the the start of the year. This is the strongest start of the year in the history of iShares, uh, with over 100 billion in net flows. Here in the U.S. alone, is 60 billion. Uh, earlier in the year, we crossed two trillion in assets. Uh, a little bit less than four years ago, we crossed one trillion. So we doubled assets in less than four years. Just remarkable growth, and the whole industry incredible growth with over 400 billion in flows um, uh, year to date globally again. Uh, but I think that what really matters is what you said second, which is that uh, the success of the ETF is is really how it is becoming the vehicle of choice for more and more investors around the world. Whether it's to replace equities, whether it's to replace bonds, so a lot of the growth that we saw in fixed income ETFs is not replacing active fixed income managers. These are, the growth is really coming from active managers using fixed income ETFs, uh, replacing bonds, uh, because there are more efficient ways to gain exposure to, um, uh, to the same type of uh, segments of the fixed income market. So it's really how the ETF is transforming the investment world and how we think of uh, building portfolios. I think that that to me is what is remarkable uh, and also why we think that, again, you know, this growth will continue. Yeah, and most happy for me that I'm happy to see is the ETF tail wagging the dog. By that, I mean the, the last refuge of the ETF haters was, oh, these ETFs are going to get into areas of the market that are not very liquid. Wait till they try to, you know, get into brokered loans or some obscure area of the market like high yield. Remember that story 10 years ago? And boy, if there's an exit, no one's going to be able to sell these bonds. And it turns out the opposite is true. ETFs found a way to price the bonds more efficiently. Uh, and we saw this with Chinese equities. We saw this with bonds in times of high volatility. People can actually price these, uh, and it's leading to more efficient pricing in things like bonds and leading to more electronic trading in bonds. That's right. I mean, I think uh, last year, March, was just such an incredible 
um, example of the utility of the ETF, right? When you couldn't get liquidity um, or you couldn't really understand the pricing of, uh, of bonds, the ETF was giving you that transparency and was giving you that liquidity. Uh, ETFs like um, LQD back in March was trading 30,000 times on exchange. If you look at the top five holdings, we're trading around 30 times. So the ETF was giving you an actual view of what was the price at that moment in time of the underlying securities and was allowing you to trade. If you think of the importance, if you're running a portfolio as an asset, let's say a pension plan, or you're running a portfolio as an asset manager, the ability to, in a very efficient way, rebalance your portfolio, get in and out of risk, uh, gain liquidity, yeah. uh, that's just an incredible utility that the ETF proved uh, to be able to do last year in March. Right. So the simple answer to the ETF haters who said, wait till this thing, wait till everything kind of blows up and everybody wants to exit for the doors. Nobody's going to be able to sell this thing because there's no liquidity. The answer, what actually happened was the ETFs themselves created the liquidity for it. There were people who had stuff. They had to move in and out, redemptions and creations. That created liquidity itself and they were able to price it. The whole premise was wrong that everything was going to blow up and there was no pricing. The ETFs helped create the pricing. That is what people didn't seem to ever get or understand uh, about it. Armando, I appreciate you taking the time out. I know you're a busy guy. I want to remind everyone, this is the guy who runs the biggest ETF fund family in the world, iShares, uh, and also runs uh, the biggest ESG suite of, of funds here. So he's given us an hour of his time. And Armando, I, I really do appreciate it. Armando Senra is the head of iShares America. Thanks very much, Armando, for joining us. And everybody, have a healthy, happy, and safe trading week. Invesco QQQ believes new innovations create new opportunities. Here's to greater possibilities together. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Invesco Distributors, Inc.